Before we get to Aspen Ideas to Go, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast from The Atlantic called How to Build a Happy Life. Join happiness correspondent Arthur Brooks as he hosts interviews with experts about living a more joyful, meaningful, and intentional way of life. From the Surgeon General Vivek Murthy to meditation aficionado Dan Harris, the show provides a lens into the many ways you can begin to be just that much happier. Find How to Build a Happy Life at theatlantic.com or on your favorite podcast app. It's Aspen Ideas to Go from the Aspen Institute. I'm Trisha Johnson. Back in July, child tax credit checks started hitting Americans' mailboxes and bank accounts. Each month, most families are receiving $250 or $300 per child. Senator Michael Bennett of Colorado says the expanded program should become permanent. It's set to expire at the end of the year. It's the perfect time, Bennett says, to give families that aren't the country's top earners a leg up. We have a once in a lifetime opportunity, partly as a result of COVID and partly, I'm sad to say, as the result of a recognition that has eluded us for a really long time that the American economy has not worked well for most Americans for the last 50 years. Today, he talks with the CEO of Etsy about what the public and private sectors should do for families. Aspen Ideas to Go brings you compelling conversations hosted by the Aspen Institute. Today's discussion is from the Global Inclusive Growth Summit. The tax credit is one of the largest anti-poverty measures in the U.S. since President Johnson launched the War on Poverty in 1964, reports CNBC. The stimulus was included in the American Rescue Plan President Biden signed in March. Senator Michael Bennett, a Democrat and longtime advocate for child tax credits, says it will cut childhood poverty in half. But an effort to extend the credit beyond this year is not supported by Republicans. Some call it a waste of taxpayer dollars that will cost American jobs. Bennett joins Josh Silverman, the CEO of Etsy, to discuss how companies and the government can best help families. They're interviewed by Marketplace reporter Samantha Fields. Here's Fields. Senator Bennett, I want to start with you. I know you have been an advocate of expanding the child tax credit for a long time, since long before the pandemic. It finally happened this year. And I'm curious if you can just walk us through what that expansion has looked like, what those changes are. Sure, there are three changes. One is to expand the credit from $2,000 to $3,000 per kid for kids over the age of six, $3,600 for kids under the age of six. It makes the credit fully refundable for the first time in American history. So now millions and millions of the poorest children in America who were not beneficiaries of the child tax credit are now beneficiaries. And the third big change was we're paying it out on a monthly basis. So families can actually have the benefit of the tax credit at the end of the month when they're trying to make decisions about how to pay the rent or buy a few extra groceries or 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 um, or pay for school clothes, for example. So it much better matches the needs of families. And when you take all of those three changes together, uh, we can say that we're uh, cutting childhood poverty in this country by almost 50% this year. And over 90% of America's kids are benefiting from the credit. Josh, I know you as CEO of Etsy have also been very uh, publicly in support of the child tax credit expansion. And I'm curious if you can just tell us a little bit about why. 
Absolutely. And first, I just want to say thank you to Senator, Be- Senator Bennett for his leadership role in doing this. It's so important. And we're really grateful for, uh, for the leadership role that he's played in really promoting this legislation. Uh, Etsy's mission is keeping commerce human. So in a world where people are buying more and more things that come fast and are cheap and end up in a landfill uh, almost as fast, people are craving maybe to buy fewer things that mean more and that have some form of, of human connection. And in a time when automation is changing the nature of work, creativity can't be automated. So Etsy allows over 5 million sellers to take their creative passion and turn that into the opportunity to provide income for their families, selling to people all around the world, usually from their home. So uh, 91% of Etsy's sellers are uh, women, uh, the vast majority of which uh, are businesses of one working from home. And what we hear over and over again from those businesses is that uh, 24% of our sellers have children at home, and uh, they report that they have a really hard time finding enough time to run their business. Uh, And in fact, women are seven times more likely than men to report that they're having a hard time running their business because of their child care obligations. So as we get through the pandemic, it's so important that we evolve our child care infrastructure. We have a once in a generation opportunity to provide the kind of child care infrastructure in place to really allow everyone in our economy to be part of productive members of, of, of our system and help us to grow together. I'm curious if Etsy's structure as a platform for people to run their own small businesses has how that has affected your advocacy or your decision to advocate on this particular issue. I think it affects us a lot. Uh, So first, just some statistics. The World Economic Forum says that about 99.9% of businesses in the United States are small businesses and that they employ about half of the private sector workforce in America. But those are businesses that have 500 or fewer employees. Uh, Actually, micro businesses are businesses with 10 or fewer. Usually, micro businesses are businesses of one, businesses like Etsy sellers. And there are very few people who speak for that community. And in fact, it's a large and fast-growing sector of the U.S. economy. There's about 60 million independent workers in, in the United States. And so we think at Etsy, it's it's our obligation uh, to really speak for that community that's so important. And it's small but powerful. Etsy sellers uh, uh, contributed about $13 billion to the U.S. economy and about 2.6 million jobs. That's about the GDP of the city of Houston. That's just the sellers on Etsy. So we think it's, it's really important, actually, that as we design legislation, we think not just about the big businesses, but the small businesses. And as much as the small businesses, we think about the micro businesses. And their needs are a little bit different. You know, uh, a, a micro business, a business of one means that the, the, the person running the business is responsible for every single part of the business. If they have to take a half a day to, to, to look after uh, their child or to care for uh, an aging family member, that's money straight out of their pocket. That's lost income. There's no one else to step in and help to generate that income. So making sure that they have the time and the support to actually work as they want to, uh, we think is, is, is even more critical for micro businesses than it is for many others. Senator Bennett, I know that you said uh, up at the top that there is research showing that the expansion of the child tax credit will reduce child poverty by about half, which is hugely significant. But 
This credit also goes to families um, in, you know, upper and middle income brackets. It will go to a two income family of that making one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I'm curious why that's important also. Uh, I thought it was important to us, those of us that were designing this, I think, to um, to support American families broadly. And that that's where we cut it off in the end was about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You know, if I if I had to summarize the last 10 years or 11 years of town halls in my state, uh, in Colorado, a place with a really dynamic economy, one of the most dynamic economies in the country, it's really simple. It's people coming and saying we're working really hard and no matter what we do, we can't afford some combination of housing, health care, higher education or early childhood education. If we can find early childhood education to begin with, or daycare. We can't save. We feel like our kids are going to live a more diminished life than the life we live, and we're already making choices our parents and grandparents didn't have to make. And these are families that consider themselves middle class in, in, the, in that dynamic economy in Colorado. I used to be the superintendent of the Denver Public Schools after a career in law and business before I was in this job, and there, most of the kids were kids of color. Most of the kids were kids living in poverty. Their parents were very often working two and three jobs, including the students themselves uh, working those jobs. And um, and what they would say is, no matter what we do, we can't get our kids out of poverty. And what all of this is, is an anecdotal reflection of an economy that for 50 years has worked really well for the top 10% of Americans and has not really worked at all for nine out of 10 Americans which is roughly 90% of the American people, which is who the tax credit basically covers. That's where, where we ended up in that place. I'm curious what you've heard from people in the last few months since these monthly checks started going out in July about how it's affecting people's lives, how they're spending this money. Mostly, you, you know, when I was at home for August recess, very often what I would hear, from, it was particularly from moms, was people was mom saying um, I was able to buy back to school clothes for my kids without throwing my family into financial turmoil for the first time ever. In other words, for the first time, I was able to make a choice to buy my kids clothes without without my without bankrupting my family. Essentially, I've heard people say that they're using it to to pay for extracurriculars uh, for their children, to pay for piano lessons. Some people to use it for daycare, which is, to, to Josh's point, such an important part of this equation. Because, you know, if women, if we're actually going to see women returning to the workforce in the United States, we're going to have to figure out this child care problem. And this tax credit is part of doing that because it allows people to pay for a few extra hours of child care that can allow them to go back to work. One woman I remember in particular in Colorado Springs told me she had bought a bicycle for her son. And the and the bicycle was enabling him to go to after-school activities that he wouldn't be able to go to had she not been able to buy the bike because it was the only way to transport him. And, and the, the bike had blown a tire uh, in the first week or so, and she had replaced the tire. And she said, but I didn't buy, have to buy the cheapest tire. I actually bought a decent tire. People don't understand what we poor people pay in terms of tax. You know, when you have to buy the cheap tire, you know it's going to blow out next week. When you've got to buy the cheap shoes and you can't buy a decent pair of shoes that'll actually last for a school year, that that itself provides 
enormous economic strain to families. So those are the kinds of things that I've heard about. Josh, I'm curious what you're hearing either from your employees who you maybe talk to about this or from sellers on the Etsy platform. There's no doubt that the expansion of the child tax credit has been uh, absolutely critical for particularly for micro businesses and particularly for women. Um, as Senator Bennett mentioned, this, this uh, experts are saying that this could cut the child poverty rate in half. Uh, it's perhaps the, the most important thing we've done in a generation for families. And, you know, we're very concerned about uh, people who've had to leave the workforce in order to take care of children. And it's going to be very hard for them to get back into the workforce. You know, so many businesses, Etsy's having a hard time hiring at the speed that we want to hire. And so many businesses are experiencing the same thing. And a lot of that is parents who need to be at home to, to take care of childcare. Maybe their schools are closed. Maybe they don't have other childcare support like they used to. Maybe they can't have their grandparents coming over like they used to. And providing childcare so that people can get back to work and be part of the workforce is, is absolutely critical. Given that, I'm curious, I know that you are also uh, an advocate of sort of other policies around supporting families, supporting parents uh, with children at home. I know at Etsy, you guys have about six months of parental leave, 12 weeks of paid family medical leave, unlimited sick days. Talk to me a little bit about the importance of those benefits and also how you got there as a company to that point of deciding, you know what, this is worth it for us as a company to offer these benefits and this is why. At Etsy, we know that strong caregiver support is good for business. And we've had a chance to be investing in that for years and we've got a lot of conviction now that it's very good for Etsy's business. So you're right. We have uh, uh, 26 weeks of paid parental leave. That's gender neutral. So anyone with a new child in their family, be it through natural birth or adoption, uh, male, female, uh, non-male, uh, will we'll have 26 weeks of, of paid parental leave during their first two years uh, as a parent. Uh, and then we have 12 weeks of, of paid family leave. Um, we believe that we need flexible and equitable caregiver policies to allow women and families and parents to be able to participate equally at Etsy. And it's working really well. A couple of things I'll point out. One, there's no motherhood penalty at Etsy, and we're really proud of that. Women and parents get promoted at equal rates to men and non-parents at Etsy. We're very proud of the fact that our parental leave uh, is taken in equal proportion by men and by women. So women are not disproportionately stepping out of our workforce and then being penalized. Men and women both are expected to be playing an active role in child care uh, and, and, and stepping out of the workforce for a little bit of time at Etsy. We have support and we have a lot of infrastructure to make sure that, that they can do that in a way where they feel supported and where the people who are on their team uh, feel really supported to, to continue the work. That allows us to attract really world-class people from all backgrounds, including women, including people who are uh, parents and, and have caregiving responsibilities. And that's critical. A couple of things I'll point out. More than half of our executive staff are women. A third of our engineers are women, which is double what you'd see in, in the best of class uh, technology companies. We have very strong representation from women throughout the company. Why is that important? Well, not only is you know half the population are women and, and, and there's so much talent there, but as I mentioned, 90% of our sellers are women and 90% of our buyers are women. So having really strong representation from women inside the company makes us better uh, in terms of understanding our customer base and serving our customer base. And guess what? We're not alone. 
All the studies show that women make the majority of spending decisions in most households. So many, many companies are like Etsy, where women are disproportionately the customer base. And so having really strong female representation inside the company is 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 really important. And not only have we been able to attract a really talented uh, a base of, of parents and, and women and a very diverse community of employees, but we've been able to retain them. So at a time when attrition is spiking in so many different companies, our attrition rates are about half of the industry average. And one of the things we hear over, over and over again is it's because we provide so much support, things like our, our parental leave policy. Senator Bennett, I'm curious what you're hearing from constituents, what's you, what you've been hearing over the last year and a half from people who do not have these benefits at work. And we know that is a lot of Americans. People, everything Josh said, I, I, I can't tell you how um, much I agree with and, I, and how much I appreciate Etsy's leadership here. Uh, because what I hear from a lot of people in Colorado is that they're really stressed out, that they're burning the candle at both ends. They're working like crazy and they can't keep their heads above water. It's not a problem of people not working hard enough. It is a problem of all of us together not supporting our, our families well enough, not supporting our kids well enough, and things that other countries take for granted, um, we, we, we somehow treat as if beyond the laws of political physics. You know, <laughs> every single country that has a child tax benefit like the one that we're trying to extend here with uh, the reconciliation package actually has higher workforce participation rates than the United States of America. Every single one has higher workforce participation rates by women than the United States of America for all the reason that Josh said. So I don't think people are looking for a handout here. I think what they're looking for is a little bit of help to allow them to work and to, to be able to earn more money over, over their, their career. Josh mentioned, you know, that he's seeing, uh, that the turnover is much less at Etsy than other places and that salary parity is a result of that because you know people are interrupting their careers in the same way whether they're moms or whether they're dads whether they have kids or whether they don't and that's the way it ought to be i think across the country for for too many you know families women are bearing a burden uh, that they um, that they shouldn't have to bear alone and and the economy suffers as a result i mean childhood poverty costs uh, our country a trillion dollars a year, and there are some estimates already from Columbia University that the investment we've made in the child tax credit uh, by just in alone will pay back an eight times dividend because uh, we're going to be uh, uh, reducing childhood poverty in half instead of mitigating for the effects of childhood poverty. As a former school superintendent, I can tell you that it is far more expensive to mitigate, to try to mitigate for those effects than it is to try to reduce it. And, uh, and I, and I, not ironically, but the result of all of this, I think, is going to be that we're going to see a more dynamic labor workforce than the one we had before. You know, the theme of this summit is rebuilding for all. And the theme of this session is building financial security for families and workers after COVID. And, You know, I think the pandemic made abundantly clear, if it wasn't already, to a lot of people that the economy, the U.S. economy has not been working for many people for a long time now. Um, Marketplace did a poll a year ago or so that found that 60% of people didn't have $1,000 to cover an unexpected expense. 
40% didn't have $250 to cover an unexpected expense. And so I'm curious if you both feel like the pandemic has actually changed the conversation in a long-term fundamental way or not. I would, I would just say, well, I ran an utterly unnoticed campaign for president on the idea that we could cut childhood poverty in half in this country. And by the way, we need to recognize that we are an outlier in terms of childhood poverty. We are 38th out of 41 industrialized countries and, and the poorest population in our country are our children. And that, but that was before the pandemic. Then we had the pandemic. And I think pe- people realized that we couldn't turn our backs on this anymore, that we had to do something for people who are struggling through this economy, who are, who are poor or in, you know, working people. And that has led us to the child tax credit, which I think is the most elegant solution that's on the table, but it's not all we need to do. Paid family leave we need to do. We've got to try to do something about preschool so that it's more affordable for families for all the reasons that we said. And I do think we have a once in a lifetime opportunity, partly as a result of COVID and partly I'm sad to say, as you said, as the result of a a recognition that has eluded us for a really long time that the American economy has not worked well for most Americans for the last 50 years. For some reason, we decided that the most important interest to privilege in our economy were people that wanted to make stuff as cheaply as possible in China. You know, and I think there's a realization that there are other values at work here that are really important ones. And I hope will lead us to a place where when the American economy grows the next time, it actually grows for everybody, not just the top 10%. Because that's when we'll really begin to see um, the labor market take off in the way it needs to. Josh, I'm curious if you feel like the conversation has changed among CEOs, among business leaders, and if you're seeing other companies, more companies start to put these kinds of policies in place voluntarily. I think the conversation is changing at a time when we can agree on so few things as a nation. There is broad agreement that the economy is not working for everyone the way it should. And particularly, you know, for for those who are not at the very top of the pyramid, it's not working. And uh, all of us need to be part of that solution. You know, none of us can succeed if we don't have a civil society that is sound. If people don't feel like their economic welfare is secure, none of us are secure. And I think there's a very broad recognition of that. I do think to to the senator's point about who we're deciding to um, help and who we're not deciding to help. I'm, I'm proud of the fact that, uh, you know, two thirds of Etsy sellers reported they had stronger sales in 2020 than the year before. I think people do want now to put their money where their heart is. I think they are becoming more conscious consumers. They're thinking about what brands do I want to be associated with and who do I want to support? The young generation even more. Uh, they really live that. And I think that's a wake up call for everyone. Uh, and, and, and so I'm encouraged and optimistic. I'm curious, again, for both of you, whether or what you see as the role of business leaders, of private business in this conversation. And, um, you know, Josh, for you, why, as a CEO of a company that is able to put these benefits in place for your employees, is it important to you to advocate for them at the federal level? 
Well, we, we see ourselves as one of the few voices well positioned to speak for the 60 million independent workers, including the 5 million sellers on Etsy. You know, there are, there's organizations to support small businesses, but again, small businesses are people of 500 employees or less, which is very different than a business of one. And if we don't speak for them, who will? Um, and also, you know, we very much believe at Etsy that being a good citizen is part and parcel of being a good business. And I think there's a narrative out there that somehow if you want to be a good citizen, you've got to be a bad business. Or if you want to be a, 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 a good business, you've got to be a bad citizen. And I think that's such an unfortunate narrative. And it's not true. Um, you know, Etsy has performed very, very well. Uh, you know, for those tracking our, our business, uh, you know, we're one of the best performing stocks in the stock market uh, over the past three, three or four years. And I think that's very much because of the fact that we live our values and we treat our employees well and we advocate for our customers, not just inside of our marketplace, but at the federal level as well. I think people are paying attention. I think they care. And I think it makes a difference. Senator Bennett, I'm curious what you see as the role of CEOs like Josh and business leaders. I I think it's critical, vitally important, because, you know, politicians that don't know much about business um, m- might make judgments about policies or legislation in ignorance if people like Josh aren't actually explaining the way their businesses work. And there's a tendency, I think, there has been a tendency in the last generation or so for us, Etsy being a, a very uh, stark contrary example, a race to the bottom in terms of you know the benefits that the private sector has been providing. And a, and a kind of a view from the policymakers that that's somehow okay because that's just the way capitalism works. I'm a capitalist. I, I used to be in the private sector myself. And I know all of these things consist of decisions that we all make. Sometimes, you know, the private sector makes them on their own, sometimes with encouragement from the federal government. We're seeing this discussion, I think a healthy discussion now happening around the role of social media companies in this country. It's going to require us to really think differently about what that looks like. The jury is still out there about whether the social media companies will make the decisions themselves or whether we're going to have to legislate. But the point is that it's an in, a, in this democracy, it's an integrated effort, as Josh was saying. And I guess the final point I would make is that the greatest danger to our democracy is a lack, a sense of a lack of opportunity from economic opportunity on the behalf of most people, because it's at those moments where there, there seems to be a lack of opportunity that somebody shows up, some ambitious politician shows up and says, democracy is not going to deliver for you. I alone can deliver from you. And that's the way democracies end. And that's why I think this work is so fundamentally important, as important as the work we're all trying to do now on, on voting rights, for example. This is a core piece of business for a healthy democracy. And the private sector, I think, can be provide, pro, pro, provide profound leadership by forcing politicians to do the right thing here. And that's, that shouldn't be as hard as it is sometimes, but it's really, really important. Josh, I know you said that these policies have been good for business. And I'm curious if you can talk a little bit more about what that's looked like at Etsy. What some, and, and also I'm curious how long you've had them in place. We've had our, um, 26 week, uh, parental leave policy in place now for about six years. 
Um, and during that time, the business has grown from uh, our sellers selling about $2 billion a year uh, of product to uh, we're on track for about $12 billion this year. So about a six fold increase. Uh, in, in fact, our, our seller sales have more than doubled just in the past year. Uh, so, um, you know, business is going well. The pie is growing. And what's most important is the pie is growing. You know, when our sellers sell more, that's more revenue, obviously, and more profit for Etsy. But it all starts with our buyers finding products they love and our sellers selling products. And when that happens, the marketplace grows and, and everyone wins. For both of you, I'm curious have you ever changed someone's mind on any of these issues, whether it's the expansion of the child tax credit, parental leave, paid family leave, paid sick days? Have you had conversations with somebody who did not agree with you and changed their mind? And if so, what was it that pushed them over the edge? Definitely. Well, if, if for me, time will tell on some level because <laughs> we're, we'll see uh, whether we can get the reconciliation bill over the finish line. I think we will be able to do it. And I do believe that I've been able to make a case to people here that when you look at, as I mentioned earlier, the workforce participation rates in other countries being higher when they have a tax benefit like this than lower, I've been able to overcome some, some folks who think that somehow this is going to disincentivize people from working. It, there's a lot of evidence. The studies all show that this is actually a pro-work policy, that it makes it easier for people to work. And, and, and in contrast, that the United States of America has made it very hard for people to work, especially people that are living in poverty. This is a step forward on that. And I do think that I've been able to persuade some of my colleagues that that's true. And, and for that reason, they're, they're supporting the work that we're trying to get over the finish line here. I'd say my, my, it's easier for me than for the senator because uh, the people he has to negotiate with are subject to a whole bunch of forces. CEOs get to make uh, decisions with less uh, uh, less outside input uh, in, in some ways that may may sometimes be helpful. But yes, definitely. And what's what's been um, important is to talk about the caregiving policies we have, which immediately causes my colleagues to say, "Oh gosh, that sounds really disruptive. How on earth do you keep running a business?" And then I go through the other things we've put in place to allow us to run the business uh, with, with continuity. So for example, we have a lot of internal mobility where when someone goes out for parental leave, we use internal mobility, which turns out to be great for cross-training. There's actually a lot of benefits of having someone come over and take a new job and learn and bring new ideas to the job. So we've built a system around internal mobility for leave cover. We've created uh, uh, relationships with consultants who come and specifically work with us on leave cover. Um, so we have, a, we have a set of infrastructure that we've put in place around leave cover that actually allows us to have business continuity, even though we're not that big a company, by the way, Etsy only has 2000 employees. So in the grand scheme of things, it's not like we have infinite people to move and, and do anything. And yet we've been able to make it work. And actually we find that we get stronger and it's going through the ways we've been able to learn and make it work that I think give other, in my conversations with CEOs, give them the confidence to go and, and do it themselves. I just want to end by asking you both, for anyone who is listening to this who may still not be convinced but think this is all going to cost too much money, we don't have the money either as a business or the federal government doesn't have the money to spend on this right now, what would you say about the cost of all of these policies? I would take a crack at that. And the child tax credit, is an the changes are an incremental $100 billion a year. That's a trillion dollars over 10 years. 
As I mentioned earlier, childhood poverty costs this country a trillion dollars a year, and 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 the costs of of eliminating it or or reducing it, I think, are far less than the costs of mitigating for the effects, as I mentioned earlier. So, in my judgment, this is a place where we are going to get an enormous return for the money that we spend. I think the same is true of of, of uh, preschool for all the reasons that we've said. And paid family leave is a different kind of a cost. It's not a cost for the federal government, but it's, a, in a sense, a cost that the entire economy will uh, will have to contend with. But I think the upside is much greater than that cost. And when you take it all together, I think what we're saying is a little bit like, you know, the buyers and sellers on Etsy, that we're trying to see whether we can reestablish an economy in this country that grows from the middle out, you know, and from the bottom up, rather than imagining that somehow it's going to trickle down from the very top. That has not worked for decades. So what I would say to folks that are skeptical is let's not let's not continue to do what's not working. It's important for us to try something new. And I, and I really believe it for this reason alone. I do not think that we can have an economy that works the next 50 years like the one for the last 50 years and have any expectation that our democracy will survive. That's how high I think the stakes really are. And at Etsy, I'd say, you know, we focus on growth, growth, growth. And by attracting and retaining the very best talent, which these policies allow us to do, we grow, we get bigger and we can afford to invest a little bit because the ROI is there because we grow. And we think the same thing is true of our sellers and of the community at large. By allowing, by having good caregiving infrastructure, we allow them to actually be participants in our economy, to work and be productive. And that makes the economy bigger, which makes this investment more than pay off. Thank you both so much for taking the time. This has been a great conversation and I love getting to talk to both of you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks, Josh, for everything you're doing. Senator, thank you for all your leadership on this. We're really grateful. Michael Bennett is a Democrat and U.S. Senator from Colorado. Previously, he served as Superintendent for Denver Public Schools. Josh Silverman is CEO of Etsy and has held leadership positions at American Express and eBay. He was CEO of Skype and co-founded Evite, Inc. Samantha Fields is a reporter for the American Public Media Program, Marketplace. Their conversation was held October 14th during the online Global Inclusive Growth Summit held by the MasterCard Center for Inclusive Growth and the Aspen Institute. Make sure to subscribe to Aspen Ideas To Go wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Aspen Ideas year-round on social media at Aspen Ideas. Today's show was programmed by the Center for Inclusive Growth team and produced by Marcy Krivenin and me. Our music is by Wonderly. I'm Trisha Johnson. Thanks for joining me. Thank you.